All right. So yeah. anything I say after this point is the shit that gets me canceled. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. There's not there's not enough listeners to get you canceled now, isn't it? You have people have to actually care. Listen, I'm doing this for one reason, and it's to get canceled. <laughs> Let me do the intro. Hello and welcome back to Sam Peckinpod's Straw Pods podcast. I'm your host Colin, and this week. We have a very funny guy, a very funny comedian, Cade Moore, on the show. How are you doing, Cade? Hey, I'm doing great. What's up, babies? <laughs> That's true. How did you... You're a listener to the show. You know I call the listeners the babies. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that you did that. Did that. No, I, I don't. I, I don't. I could now. Oh, see, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I've never, I've never listened to any podcast ever. Ever. So, All right, fine. Uh, I'm not going to take that personally. I, I mean, it it puts you in with some of the greatest. You're in the same group as as everybody else. I'm I'm in the same group as everybody else, canceled and uncanceled alike. We're all we're all in this together. I guess so. Oh, well, speaking of being in it together, um, the like the whole coronavirus shit. I remember I was with you the night before I traveled to Spain. And the day after I got to Spain, they announced that they were shutting down Wuhan. And that was okay. like on January. I think I met with you on January 21st. On January 23rd, they shut it all down. But I'm trying to remember, like, that night that we were hanging out, did any of us even talk about it? Like, I think we all knew there was, like, this this bug going around. But I don't think any of us knew what the f- how bad it was going to be. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I don't think anybody – it wasn't on anybody's radar in Shanghai yet. It was the next day uh, I remember I started seeing people in masks, and my girlfriend was, like, insisting that we wear masks out. Mm-hmm. And a like, few I, people – I don't know. I knew that I was supposed to wear a mask at the airport, and when I got to the airport in my mask, everybody else was wearing them as well. And so, like, we we knew that something was going on. I just, I don't, I, I really, it's hard to piece together. I don't, it's just one of those things, I guess, until it's, like, in your town and it's a big deal there. It's uh, just not real to you, right? I guess, yeah. Like, I don't know, now fucking everything, everything has changed. But that's not, yeah. that is not what we're here to talk about, Cade. We have a very specific Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very specific thing that we wanted to talk about, which is the 2018 Clint Eastwood movie, The 1517 to Paris. Yeah. I like that he went with metric time on that. That was very worldly. That was a, it, it's very that European train time. It European flair. <laughs> uh, it, like it, it, one thing you don't know about Clint Eastwood he, is he has a, va- a big autistic train guy fanship. Oh, See, and I knew there was something I liked about him. Yeah, if yeah. he would have named it the 317 to Paris, they would have they would have come down on him hard. <laughs> yeah, there would have been some some big time Lego fans who were mad. The the, <laughs> the overlap between train enthusiasts, Lego fans, and and Sonic fandom. Yeah, all would have come down <laughs> in a perfect shitstorm on Clint Eastwood's head. <laughs> they are a cinematic lobby, like not unlike Star Wars fans, the, uh, the train <laughs> guys. Star Wars fans. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. If anybody doesn't happen to know which movie that we're talking about, because, yeah, it came out in 2018. This was the this was the film adaptation of the book 
it actually has a very long title that's escaping me right now. Um, is like the 1517 to Paris, the story of one train, one terrorist, and three heroes, something like that. It's okay. it's a really long and pretty dumb uh, title, but it's about uh, the 2015 attempted terrorist attack on a train going from Amsterdam to Paris that three plucky young Americans uh, thwarted. Yeah. Like, you you remember the news story when it happened, I right? I do. Like, I do. Okay. And I remember, like, begrudgingly feeling a little bit of that, that like, pride that gets indoctrinated into you. Mm-hmm. As as with every American, I was like, uh, well, we saved him again. <laughs> I, I can totally see that, though, because this is – everybody, I think, has had that thought of, like, what if shit kicked off right now? What would I do? How would oh, yeah. I act? Oh, yeah. Like having having anybody's countrymen, like if it was Canadians that did it, I that would be a feather in any nationality's hat, of course. Okay, fair enough. I, I no, I like I totally agree with what you're saying though. Like, yeah, I'd be I'd be really proud of them too because what they did was still amazing, despite the fact that um, like we'll we'll talk about what we think about the movie. No, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to diminish their their actions at all. I mean, because that's that's some. Uh, I, to put it simply, that's some nuts, you know. Uh huh. I, I mean, I would be, I'd be going for the door. Yeah, like the, of course, the terrorist. Just uh, to refresh people's memories, he came out of the bathroom with two guns. He had an AK-47 and like a pistol, um, and like 300 rounds of ammunition on a train. Um, it could have been very bad, except for yeah, these guys jumped to it. And based and due to like a one in a million shot that the gun jammed, they were yeah. able to they were able to subdue the guy. Um, but yeah, the film itself, I've been reading the reviews of it of the time, and the movie was absolutely panned by critics. Okay. And here here's my thinking though, the critics were actually right. But I would love to hear their thoughts on it now because I've had a really weird experience with this movie. What? First of all, Cade, what the fuck did you think of the fifteen seventeen to uh, well, Paris? Uh, this was the first time I saw the movie, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. I went in just it's it's not my usual genre, anyway. I mean, I I have a pretty narrow like set of stuff that I enjoy most of the time, mm-hmm. but. Uh, so I, I went in expecting to just not like it at all. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. But, I mean, I don't know. I didn't go to film school or anything. Yeah, I, I usually judge movies by saying, like, oh, that was sick. Or, like, ah, oh, that sucked. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Those are usually my movie reviews. So That's the purest metric there can be. <laughs> sick or suck. Like, look out, Rotten yeah, Tomatoes. Here comes, here comes sickorsuck.org. <laughs> Well, that's actually another thing, though. When you look at when you look at the um, what is it, the Metacritic score, critics rate this much lower than viewers, and that's that's something that needs to be that needs to be taken into account. When we talk about what makes a good movie now, anyways. Did people actually like it? Well, I mean, isn't that a pretty common thing, though? I mean, high critic score often has an inverse relate, or just critic and audience scores have like an inverse relationship. 
they tend to, especially in in a movie like this, where the where it, on paper the movie doesn't work. Like it's it's very boring. It looks very flat. It's acted horribly. But yeah, like it's it's of a populist nature where the people who it's made for absolutely love it because yeah, they get to see this thing. They get to see what they read about in the news, these three young Americans thwarting a terror attack, and they get to see that played out. And it reaffirms their belief that when faced with the same thing, they would they would act in the same manner. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of chances in there for like um what like projection or something. Oh, for sure. I think I think that's one of the main uh, one of the main ideas of even putting this on film anyways. Like um I don't know, my thoughts on the film where this is actually the second time i've seen it i recall the first time watching it i there were times where i was waking up my wife because i was talking to the movie so much because <laughs> like it's it's vi- on the nose a very bad film like clint eastwood i was seeing they started filming of this movie in mid-july of 2017 and they finished on August 2nd, 2017. Like it was a very fast, it was a very fast shoot and you can see it. Like there's nothing of any quality in this film. The acting is terrible. Oh, the stunt casting of the three heroes as themselves. That was actually one of the, that was one of the main cells of this movie is the fact that it's the three guys who did the, who thwarted the terrorist attack how many times I'm going to say that in this fucking episode? Thwarted. Uh, it's the three guys <laughs> who are acting as themselves in the movie. And I don't even know if that pays off. You know what? I was thinking about that, too, because obviously the guys aren't actors, right? Mm-hmm. But I felt like most of the most of the interactions and stuff that they had, they might not they might not mirror the, the interactions that I have with my with most of my friends. But like. <laughs> Those interactions seemed pretty real. I mean, just for like three dudes, three kind of kind of normal dudes. I mean, like the way that they talk to each other and stuff, I thought was fairly authentic. So I appreciated that. And insofar as just the the choice of like uh, of casting these three people who are actually involved rather than casting actors, I I think I like that. I because, agree with you. Okay. I think that, no, I think it did pay off um, in a sense that you kind of can't stop watching it because you know that these are the people who were involved in it. And it it adds this really weird, it adds this really weird kind of intense, like, cinema verite aspect to the movie where you're wondering, like, especially during the scenes of, like, violence and action, are they they re-experiencing this thing? Um... Like it, it was. It's a really interesting choice that Eastwood made, and a part of it that makes this movie much better than than it really should be. Because um, one thing that I, I I neglected to say was I I really even the second time I watched it just the other night I hated the movie while watching it, but it's only afterwards that I think back and I'm just like actually it was it was good. This is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would. I don't know where I would. 
I, I just don't really know what adjective I would use to describe it because like there was there were definitely scenes where I'm watching it and I'm like what what is that whole scene for this is just fat you know what's it, mm-hmm. what's it there for and then I'm thinking like maybe you know maybe uh, Clint Eastwood's just thinking like okay each one of these guys deserves a certain amount of screen time so he's gonna get it one way or the other um, which kind of makes sense to me and yeah the 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 main thing that that really mattered to me was just the the casting of these three people instead of actors and i was thinking about you know if instead of these guys if you had cast um i don't i don't even know who actors are anymore like fuck out paul rudd or some shit uh (laughs) if you just cast like some dudes who are actors that everybody knows then it becomes i think then it becomes a really shitty movie that has no not not even just shitty not 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 just good or bad but it becomes like a really unremarkable movie something that doesn't have anything that stands out it's just you would say 15 17 to paris and it'd be like oh yeah that's the one with this guy and this guy it's about that thing that happened in 2015 it sucks oh yeah right. it would have because the movie um for anybody who hasn't watched follows the lives of these three just american 20 somethings up until this pivotal moment where where yeah they they have to fight this terrorist and like you just said there's a lot of scenes in it where it's just fat where it's just setting up the relationship of these guys how they ended up in europe and also um yeah with if those were actual actors it would have been it would have been bad it wouldn't it wouldn't have had anything to it um and the scenes that we do see these these three American boys, uh, two of them really want to join the military. One of them ends up doing it. The other one just keeps failing at it. Um, and the third guy, you don't hear much about him because he has no like military ambitions. Um, and and also he didn't really beat up the terrorists that much. However, right. the, yeah, if they had been actors, I guess they were considering. I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now, and the actors that they were originally considering were, yeah, just your normal, your normal good-looking young Hollywood actors. It wouldn't have had any kind of punch or any kind of any kind of impetus for you to even keep watching. Yeah, it would have taken like that's, I mean, like all of the meat in that story is just the fact that oh, those are really those guys. Yes, um, and the movie. When you're watching it, the fact that it just meanders through the the mediocre stories of these twenty something Americans is while you're watching it horrible. When yeah. after you're done watching it, you look back and you think like, actually, that makes perfect sense. Um, the two characters who join the military, one of them tries to get into the Air Force and fails because of bad eyesight. We just watched that process, and then he gets turned away. Then he joins um, some kind of survival uh, core of the military, where like you're behind enemy lines and you've got to like, yeah, it's it's Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater. Um, <laughs> and then he fails out of that as well, like. The other guy, Scarlatos, he actually is in the military. He's doing a tour in either Iraq or Afghanistan, and the only scene that we see of him in the military is him losing his backpack. We're just seeing these guys fuck up, and it doesn't make for a good film while you're watching it, but afterwards you realize, like, oh, yeah, like these guys' lives of mediocrity and fuck-ups 
are all just leading to this moment, the moment that you're watching the movie for anyways, which is the reenactment of the terror scene. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of it, I, I was wondering, like, how the rest of it was put together. And, you know, I kind of figure that there might be a more interesting story to tell or, like, um, a more interesting way to tell their their true personal stories. But I was also thinking, like, how did they gather these stories? And it was probably, like, setting these guys down and just saying, like, okay, well, tell us, tell us about you. Tell us about some, tell us about your friendship or how that developed or tell us about your early life. Or even the part, I mean, you mentioned his tour in Afghanistan. Yeah, I love that because I just picture Clint Eastwood sitting sitting down with Scarlatos and he's like, all right, son, tell me about your, tell me about Afghanistan. And he's like, I lost my fucking bag. <laughs> <laughs> forgot it. Yeah, forgot the, forgot the whole thing. And Clint Eastwood's sitting there like, you fucking faggot. <laughs> That's all you did? You didn't kill any ragheads? <laughs> You could have been mowing him down and you forgot your bag. But like the movie, Clint Eastwood is obviously, he is, when he's good, he's good. And when he's bad in this movie, he's at least still very compelling. And that's like, for me, that's high praise for a filmmaker. He, uh -huh. like you, if you're going to be, if you're going to make something bad, at least make it interesting, which like having these three guys in the movie is, I guess, the main saving grace. Um, but the oh yeah i found the title of the book it's actually this is such a dumb title the 1517 to paris the true story of a terrorist a train and three american heroes i like that the train is included like it's a character like you got to get into the train's early history too it's like well i was made in a factory in dusseldorf and i was the least popular train <laughs> uh, the terrorist comes out of the bathroom and then suddenly the freeze frame record scratch cuts to the front of the train yeah that's me I bet you're wondering how I got here <laughs> actually maybe the train the train does deserve its own movie <laughs> I, well they did they did that whole Thomas the Tank I mean how many seasons does Thomas the Tank Engine have you know, give this this train scene way way more shit than Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, for fuck's sake! Yes, this was actually the 1517 to Paris was the darkest episode of Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> the fat conductors, just like how many bodies we got to pull off this thing this time? <laughs> Thomas, you did it again. Thomas had a tickle in his tummy. It was a brown man with a rifle. <laughs> Three hundred little tickles. <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, the true story of a terrorist, a train, and three American heroes. <laughs> um, all right. The movie, uh, back to, I guess, because the movie, it, it documents, like, kind of the failings and flailings of these three kids up until this point where they, they act, and they act in this heroic way. However, though, like the movie begins with kind of the it's it's kind of the tip that Eastwood has been on in his last few films, where the we're we're seeing these three kids in school and they constantly get in trouble in the cutest ways, like uh, telling off a teacher or yeah, just being out without a hall pass. Is the hall pass thing a thing in American schools, Cade? Uh. 
I think the hall pass thing is is a thing. Yeah, and and I mean they were at a they were at a Christian school if I remember correctly, and so mm-hmm. I figured they'd be more a uh, little bit more strict on the rules and stuff. Yeah, and it's not not like a public school that's like physically falling to pieces as as the kids shoot up in the bathroom. So <laughs> they they have the luxury of worrying about hall passes and stuff. Now I'm just I like I don't know why when you mentioned like. The, yeah, school that's falling apart and like kids shooting up in the bathroom. Now that we've talked about Thomas the Tank Engine, I just can't stop thinking about anthropomorphic <laughs> things, vessels that hold people. So I'm just thinking <laughs> of how the school feels having these kids shooting up inside of it. It's already old. It's already old and decrepit, and it's just got this terrible disease that is the modern American youth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking school is just dying from the inside poor bastard yeah i mean they're and you know they're breeding like they're mm. they're pregnant <laughs> you know, they're, it's like, uh, i only got 15 more years until the next ones come through yeah the disease is multiplying but oh, man. I, I guess these these early scenes of the kids uh well the three the three guys as kids are mythologizing in a way but also Eastwood's way of taking pot shots at uh, who he thinks are intellectuals and probably liberals as well. As as these kids get in trouble at school, they've got these teachers that do overreach and suggest to the single mothers that they need Ritalin for ADHD. They they call lawyers to get uh, like I don't I don't know. They call lawyers to. Um, to get one of the kids to move back in with the father. Um, just this gross overstep by these tie-wearing bureaucrats into these kids' lives, which I, I don't know how it actually ties into them saving people on a train years later. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if it's... I mean, I'm sure Clint Eastwood likes a, likes a pot shot at a, at a lib every now and then but i wonder if that's accurate in this case as it is a christian school i just assume but it is a christian school in california you never know what the fuck I, that's that's like an oxymoron itself i i don't know what these people are about i don't know who they're supposed to represent exactly just oh i think maybe it's just bureaucracy that uh, tells people what to do it's it's your boss essentially with stamps yeah <laughs> putting stamps on papers yeah, the, the office like, cut. That's kind of I don't I don't know I don't think you've seen Sully the movie that uh, that Eastwood made before this. Nah, nah. No, Sully was the movie about the the pilot um, Sully uh-huh. from Monsters Inc. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a, <laughs> uh, and he was the guy who landed the plane on the Hudson River like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the the entire thrust of that movie is, and it's just like 1517 to Paris, wherein you're watching the you're watching the story of the hero from this real life event, only because you want to get to that reenactment of the event in question. But the the main thrust of the movie leading up to that is essentially like your bosses and bureaucrats are trying to fuck you and tell you what to do, but when the shit hits the fan. Who's the one that's actually going to take charge and do the heroic thing? 
that's that's true in Sully, and that's also very true in this movie. It's just like everybody's telling you what to do. Everybody doubts you. Everybody is trying to push you this way or that. But when shit hits the fan, where the fuck are they, man? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that uh, I think that's a pretty good analysis of it. Like because because so many people are in that situation where you have to put up with dumb stuff that you're you know that the administration makes you do. You know. Oh yeah. Why? Why do we have to clock in? I got the work done. Why are you yeah, making these me are clock very in? Much, you these are very much movies for <laughs> yeah people who people who work people who have ever anybody who's ever had a boss. Like I could see. I don't know if my mother's watched this movie, but I'm sure she would be fucking pumping her fist in the air. Yeah. I, just as, just, because at the end of the day, you were right. You were useful. Yes, and that is endlessly satisfying to so many people. I don't know if that is in <clears throat> I don't know if that's mainly like a North American trait of like just everybody's wrong but me. I'm just going to sit in the break room while everything falls apart around me, then I'm going to come out and fix it all cuz I run the cash at this Walmart. <laughs> no, that's that's I like the geographic cultural component there because it does it does feel like a really North American thing actually. Uh, so yeah, I, I would see I would totally see a you know a German just saying like well that's the that's the system that's how it mm-hmm. works. Yeah, well, yeah. We just follow the rules and and just try to get the job done. You know, it's well, like, speaking of speaking of German though, there is one scene in the 1517 to Paris where. I can't tell if it's a dig or not at the Germans or just at the European mindset or the American mindset. There's a scene in which they're on a where two of the characters on a bike tour of I think it's Munich where Hitler died and they get Uh, to the parking lot, which is commemorated as the spot where Hitler died. And the the tour guide, the German, the very, very German tour guide is saying like and on this spot with the Russians closing in hitler ended his life and the two americans say like oh i thought it was at the eagle's nest and i thought the americans were closing in and then the german the german tour guide says like not everything that you americans believe about the war is true you guys didn't save everybody and i don't know who that was meant to be a dig at like that was maybe a self-aware acknowledgement of yeah we all think we're heroes or Maybe we're just heroes when it matters. I, I like I don't I don't know what the point of that scene was, but it was interesting. Yeah, you know what I I took it as I, I took it kind of at face value. Like yeah, Americans do tend to do this. We tend to like underplay the the role that other people have played in in, in acts of heroism. You know, like uh, in that what was that one that one movie with Ben Affleck where like the whole thing was orchestrated by Canada and it's like we just pretend that we did it all but but I took it at face value but but now that you mention it yeah I feel like that might be kind of a a double-edged thing that that could just appeal to anyone because if you're if you're a very jingoistic sort of person with a very amerocentric vis, uh, view of history then you could totally take that as oh this is just some salty little european being being cunty about about the yeah. war he's jealous of us again i think it's maybe you know. a genius scene because depending on who you are watching it it's a bone for you like if you are the jingoist <laughs> you're watching it just like look at this gay german telling them what's up or if you yeah. are the film critic 
you'll just say like, wow, what a moment of reflection by Eastwood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good one for everybody. What a gorgeous little bone. <laughs> and speaking of jingoism, speaking of jingoism, uh, Eastwood is in pre-production of his next movie called Jingo Unchained. And it's actually, it's going to be, it's going to be about my stepdad going around and, uh, and telling, telling some damn immigrants what for. <laughs> His name is actually Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah. <laughs> they changed it from Dandy to Daniels because Dandy was too gay. Dandy was a bit effeminate. <laughs> yeah. Yankee Doodle Daniels. Daniels. <laughs> This is Jeff Daniels' younger brother. It's his star turn. I would watch it. I always thought Jeff Daniels' younger brother was Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I can't. I cannot tell them apart. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, hold on. Yeah, I was thinking because there's Jeff Bridges, there's Jeff Bridges, there's Bo Bridges, and I actually, I was actually thinking that Jeff Daniels did have a famous Bridges sibling. Shit. They're the same guy. They're just pretending to be different guys. That's what Hollywood doesn't want you to know. <laughs> they threw Weinstein under the bus just to keep everybody off of the Bridges Daniels thing. <laughs> Wait, who played the uh, who played the crazy cousin in the um, the Christmas Vacation movies? The the I National mean, Lampoon's movies. Pro- probably Daniels. I think he usually does the goofier stuff. Oh, Randy Quaid. Up. Randy Quaid. That's who it was. Oh, oh, oh! It wasn't. You remember Randy? Either. Randy Quaid a couple of years ago just went insane like about conspiracies started like sharing videos of him in an Obama mask fucking his wife do you remember this <laughs> yeah, yeah that was that I was think, rich I think that was the precursor the forerunner to uh to the Weinstein thing they're just like all right we need we need to sacrifice somebody and make them crazy so that we can get them off of the so the bridges the bridges Daniels trail goes cold I mean that's the guy that's the guy who flew his damn airplane into the alien ship, you know? It's true. And so, huh? It's true. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, whatever he does, he kind of has a pass. We're here because of him. Well, he has a pass. You know who else has a pass and you don't see in anything anymore is fucking Bill Pullman. Oh, man. Wait, is he dead? Uh, no. I, I Okay, hope... look. God damn it. There's, I really hope not. Bill... Just like just like Bridges and Daniels, Bill Pullman is the same person as Bill Paxton. Well, Bill Paxton's dead. I know that. Okay, well, then Bill Pullman is then okay. So then Bill Pullman gave up on his other character, and now he's just living as one guy. <laughs> I never got the Pullman Paxton thing, but hey, maybe maybe I'm alone on that. Maybe I see but, through the Hollywood bullshit, man. You might have the vision. You might have the. <laughs> You might have the bullshit radar. Yeah, thanks for listening to my TED Talk. You and Roseanne. <laughs> was there ever any, like, was there ever any uh, confusion between Roseanne Barr and Rosie O'Donnell? <laughs> I think if, if there hadn't been a difference in accents, then there would have been. Yeah, like, I don't know. I never, ha- I never had that problem. I, like, I've got, I've got perfect 2020 vision. I can... I can make the difference between two fat brunette ladies. I I have an eye infection right now, so it's really hard for me. What what did I, you do? I you know it's just my lifestyle. 
it exposes me to a lot of spores and stuff. You are you are disgusting. I had a friend once who, <laughs> like him and his fiance, were in the bathroom together. Um, he like he was brushing his teeth and she was like reaching under the sink to get something when he farted, and she got the worst case of pink eye that I have ever <laughs> seen a person get. <laughs> Oh man, that's that's an accomplishment. I've never farted a disease into somebody's eye, but it's that's so but yeah. I don't, you that's, know what's crazy is that I heard that that actually happened on the fifteen seventeen to Paris, <laughs> and and they held up the bathroom long enough that the terrorists had to wait to get in there, and that's that's why it went down like it did. Man, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Like it's all of these. It's not about big heroic moments leading to this pivotal moment. It's about these small things. It's kind of the butterfly effect. There is the speech in the film, like, don't you feel like life is propelling you towards something? Yeah. What propels out of your body? A fart. <laughs> what what propels something... out of a station? A train. And like So the theme of the movie is um being propelled the thing the the theme of the entire film is being propelled and giving the middle finger to your boss when he turns his back and what is the middle finger but but the propelling of a digit from the fist this is true the propelling See, of a digit from the fist you got to be an artist to see this stuff colin it's, it's true. uh <laughs> and what is the propelling of a, fi- a digit from the fist but American individualism and exceptionalism? The fist, yeah, a collective. Away from the yeah, the fist, a collective of digits that comes together for one goal to punch. The finger propels. It is now alone, isolated, but still, I don't know, proud of itself. It's it's the American oh, experience. It's oh, it's oh. proud. <laughs> I'm tearing up right now. You can't see me, but right hand is over my heart. Oh, you see this finger right here, faggot? It's proud. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I actually I was watching the movie with with my girlfriend who who has like a a film and literature degree and mm-hmm. was and had a lot of smart things to say about it. I forgot what they were. I meant to remember some of them to say here, but you know. Well, where is she? Can I, you get, get just bring her over? Let her speak into your jewel for a minute. She's, you know, she's at work, probably stamping papers for bureaucrats. God not damn it! Damn thing, not doing a damn thing to stand I up. Fucking hate her. <laughs> she fucking sucks. <laughs> she's never. She could never take down a terrorist. <laughs> what is the girlfriend but the boss of the apartment that you hate? Yeah. No. Well. Now you're now you're hitting really close to the truth. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, the fifteen seventeen to divorce. <laughs> well, I actually I wanted to know kind of what the what the girlfriend experience of of this movie was because like I tried to watch it with my wife once and she fell asleep. I told her that I was gonna watch, but that was like maybe that was maybe a year ago. And then I tried to I told her I was going to watch it again for this episode and she was like watch that after I go to sleep. I don't want to fucking see that thing. Uh, uh 
Yeah, you mean what was what was her input? You mean? Yeah, <clears throat> I'd love to know more. I I think I, you know, I, it was I I don't even want to try because I'm gonna misquote it so badly. There were there were some technical terms in there. Uh, I I one part you know I think maybe because she's from a godless autocracy, uh, she she mm-hmm. she noticed the uh, the the religious elements as yeah. she she saw them being more prominent than I saw them being because she was like oh there was a whole there was a whole, whole Christian thing in this it was really glorifying like religion and Christianity and I was like these guys aren't even that they don't seem that religious to me mm-hmm. she was like I don't know he was praying and all this and I'm like I don't, I don't know that's mm-hmm. like well it is yeah, they're like four it, out of ten on the on the Christian scale so I cannot from, from help but think view. though that even how, yeah, to your girlfriend, um, she notices the Christian themes of it. She is not an American. And like you just said, these people are not very, very Christian. But I think to, like, innocent bystanders, meaning not American, not North Americans, these people are very godly. Okay. Yeah, I could totally see that. And I mean, just yeah, because, because it's movie, present, it's like a... It's a recurring part of their lives, even if it's not mm-hmm. a major component. There. Which I gotta um, say is probably uh, a very, a very normal way of being for many, many Americans that we don't really see represented in film very often. At least as far as I'm, I'm aware. Yeah, I'd say so. At least not, yeah, not, not anymore. Not nowadays. It's mm-hmm. not, not very fashionable. Yeah, like it really stuck out to me when. It's actually one of the very first scenes where the mothers of two of the characters are called into a teacher's meeting and they're told that they should consider like medication for ADD. Um, The teacher then like gives a bunch of statistics, just like they're being raised without fathers and like the the boys who don't turn to that don't be given that aren't given a uh, Ritalin turn to worse drugs in the future. And she's coming out with all these stats, and then the mother turns to the teacher and just says, like, well, my God is more powerful than all that. And, like, it's it's very striking to, I think, a lot of people who, yeah, see that as in some way, like, stupid. But to a lot of other people, they were probably, like, in the cinema, like, throwing their popcorn in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that that I think that particular scene was was the most overtly you know, Christian or, or religious thing that just popped up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Cause that was a very bold statement, you know? Um, and that one, even, even for me, caught me a little bit off guard. I was like, Oh, okay. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Cause it's a very <laughs> rare thing to see in film. And especially from somebody who we're supposed to be taking seriously. Like, um, I guess, I guess good on Eastwood to know his audience enough to be like, yeah, fuck the critics. Like, I know who's watching. I know who's paying for this thing. Like, this thing somehow, this thing somehow in Canada, like, made $12 million on its opening weekend, which is, like, that's not small. I can't believe that people were just like, I can't fucking wait to go and see this movie. But I guess a lot of people did. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to say, but yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess, I no, like at least at least eastwood knows who he's talking to and uh, and unrepentantly gives it to them yeah i mean there's there's a 
uh, there's a demand there in the market, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so somebody's got to fill it. Yeah, well, who's the um, – god damn it. Who's the guy on that 80s TV show? Uh, he now runs like a Christian movie production company. Fuck, what was the movie? Uh, what was the I'm show just, even? I'm just going to guess. Is it like Kirk Cameron? Yes, exactly. Kirk Cameron. Okay. Um, yeah, that guy, he he just, the only thing that he doesn't have going for him is that he's not Clint Eastwood. Uh, yeah. And Clint Eastwood at least has like this really good oeuvre of films behind him. Like even even with a misstep like 1517 to Paris, a lot of people are still willing to go and see a fucking Eastwood movie. Yeah. Well, I think that it also if you're if you're if you're comparing Clint Eastwood to someone who's who's known as like a a Christian filmmaker or something like like Kirk Cameron, I I don't know I don't know if it'd be completely accurate. I don't I don't know. I don't think of Clint Eastwood as being like primarily of this religious bent. You know, I think he's more about like I think the religious component is just a component that is part of like eastwood's true religion which would be like the traditional american way Mm -hmm. you know and so like some some church attendance or basic adherence to judeo-christian principles is like is a is a part of that yeah like we're watching we're watching these these religious guys go through their lives but only because we know that there's some there's going to be some very compelling violence at the end yeah we're watching these guys like uh, i guess another thing though is these the religious aspect of the movie is our heroes are religious people but at the same time the the villain at the beginning stretch of the movie is their christian school that they belong to which i guess is eastwood kind of like pointing out the perversion of religion when you attach it to something like schools and yeah like a a managerial class i wonder if eastwood actually thought of that what the fuck am i doing (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is i think this is the second uh clint eastwood movie i've ever seen so it's it's hard for me to pry into his mind as well Uh, wait do you know the first one was it unforgiven no (laughs) the only other one i've seen is gran torino Okay, yeah, and that's kind of where it began the um the angry the angry old man Eastwood. Yet, yeah, for everything you can say about Gran Torino, it's still a fucking compelling movie to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is. I would that's the exact word I'd use for it. It's compelling. I mean, like, I cringe at a lot of the acting in it, mm-hmm. uh, and and some of the I don't know, just some of the some of the messages behind it, but. But I don't know. It's like I'm, I'm glad it's out there because it's 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 a voice. It represents one, one prominent voice that exists in I don't know the West or or in America. Yeah. That that isn't often portrayed in film. Yes. So it's like you know I, I like a a multiplicity of views, of viewpoints rather. And uh-huh. uh, like that, it it makes it it makes it way more interesting than a lot of other films out there because yeah you're talking about a voice in america that generally does not have access to big budget films 
it, usually that voice only has access to like poorly spelled Facebook posts. Yes. But uh, but but for someone to uh, to make a compelling story out of it and make it something that people want to watch, yeah, that's there's something to that. I think if we were to go over the receipts of who went to see the 1517 to Paris on opening weekend and like correlated that with I, I think you would see a huge correlation between people who went to see this movie opening weekend and people who put minions posts on Facebook. <laughs> that would be that would be a massive overlap. That would be like a that'd be like a Lego fan train station fan overlap shit like just be like a shocking thing that seems like it shouldn't be related but, but when you think is. of like the crazy amounts of data on everybody that these tech companies have just i i just imagine like all of the crazy like data profiles they can put together of yeah people like my mom and stepdad like uh, people who post minions pictures or post like yeah, what your birth month alcohol says about you, and you put in your you put in your birth month, and it's just pretty much stealing your data. Um, like I don't know, just I could just imagine the the demographics makeups of these things. Oh man, I would I would love to get a look at those at those charts. Those would be fascinating. It would be like Neo seeing the Matrix, but like yeah, a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> way more depressing yeah a lot of like, like skull memes saying something like i fucking hate my boss <laughs> like, they're not even memes like yeah like i guess the facebook timeline is pretty much serving the same purpose but it's overload of what bumper stickers used to in the past oh yeah no that's i love it like the just the simplest bumper stickers in the in the 2000s before before everybody was was hard on like was way into social media mm. you know oh man just a a subaru with a coexist sticker it's like yeah, yeah because the coexist sticker only goes on a subaru this there's no f-150 that has a coexist sticker on you know there's although i would like to meet that man he would be gentle but firm <laughs> oh man that he'd be a good daddy yeah that would be a good dad actually a fucking F-150 with a, with a coexist sticker? But, like, Listen, I don't care what you get into, but my rules in my house. Like, well, <laughs> he's, he's, he's tough but fair. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Dad. Hey, hey, <laughs> my dad was named Dad. Call me Greg. <laughs> I, I don't dad, know. Dads Mr. don't dad. do that. Dads don't do that. <laughs> um, but just think, like, years ago, you had to get a bumper sticker that had to say something about you and your attitude, and you had to stick with that for six years at least. <laughs> bumper stickers are hard to peel off, man. This is true. That's that's the fucking point of them. You'd have to get into an accident deliberately just to get rid of your bumper sticker. Oh, man. <laughs> it, was, it was rough, you know, like having my first car and putting a bunch of stickers I got from Warp Tour on the back of it and then going to college and deciding i wanted to wanted to be like you know uh, a bell and sebastian guy oh, but yes. i still have no fx stickers on my car it was it was rough hey man like the do you could represent the duality of man there are people who can listen to no effects and bell and sebastian at the same time i don't i that's see whereas the coexist f-150 dad is the person you want to meet that guy you just mentioned i don't ever want to say <laughs> not even the thing in my is, like 
when you were college age, you don't realize that you want to meet somebody who drives an F-150 and has a coexist sticker. That's something that no. takes that's something that takes a little bit more maturity. Well, yeah, you gotta you gotta accumulate some wisdom before you realize that that's the person. Mm-hmm. I think that there I think there's something to be said for like I guess maybe the malleability of the North American psyche and I guess personalities of people now that we have Facebook and we can just put up bumper stickers that say something about what we're feeling at that moment rather uh-huh. than having a bumper sticker that is going to have to exude your attitude for you for about five to six years while it slowly chips off your bumper. Like it used to be you would, yeah, it used to be you would have to get a bumper sticker that said like, how's my driving call one 800 fuck you. And (laughs) that was your badass attitude for years. Now it could just be like, man, when I'm fucked up, that's the real me that, and that's, that's all that you need to put. And that just, that represents you for that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that we've moved away from a bumper sticker based uh, method of expression. It's, it's probably better for everybody that way. Well, it allows people it allows people to tap into many more ways of being. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you could be more mercurial in your in your represent self representation. Well, yeah, I'm right? gonna end this call soon just because like I want to get started on my thesis of malleability of like attitudes and personalities <laughs> based on fucking based on Facebook timeline bumper stickers. Oh, don't don't forget to to mention how like the the chipping off of the bumper sticker over time also represents the erosion of the ideal or attitude of the driver. This is true. It's in the erosion of the attitude of the driver, but it's also proof that people can fundamentally change. That's beautiful. I think, God damn it. I think we're onto something. We started with fucking 1517 to Paris and we're ending (laughs) with like just ripping the lid off of the fact that, our parents and grandparents on Facebook are actually more emotionally mature than we are. Kay, do you know what this means? (laughs) I'm starting to put it together. I can feel the pieces coming together. All all I'm thinking is like, how do I get a hold of in in 2020? How do I get a hold of one of those? uh, My kid beat up your honor student bumper stickers. Holy shit. Those, those are the top. I don't know if you had, I don't know if where you lived in, uh, you're from Ontario, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if where you lived was trashy enough to to have that. I've seen all types, but then again, like, we lived on one of North America's biggest, busiest highways, so I've seen them all, baby. Oh, you get, you get, you get the best from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, God damn. Uh, well, fuck. Oh, one thing about back to the movie for just a second um i i mentioned this to you when i when i approached you about the episode about like the cultural need for a movie like 1517 to paris for a movie like sully which i mentioned before um yeah the why do we have this movie and i we touched on it a little earlier which is the fact that it's for people who need to say fuck you to their bosses um, it's for people who have always thought like, man, if I was on one of the planes, we wouldn't have gone into the tower. I would have fucking, I would have beat their asses and landed it myself. 
like there Mark Wahlberg, I believe, said that he was meant to be on one of the planes and it would have been huh, a different story had he had. And I, I Mark that. Yeah, yeah. Mark <laughs> Wahlberg is also one of the guys who made the movie Deepwater Horizon, which is very much in the vein of fifteen seventeen to Paris, where Deepwater Horizon was the movie about, yeah, the deep water like uh, oil rig, uh, I think down the Gulf Coast, and how they how they avoided calamity or dealt with calamity despite even like despite even their bosses telling them all the wrong information or just leaving them to die. It's very much of the same mode of this one. This one is for the guys who wear coveralls. This one is for all the viewers who ever wanted to say fuck you to their bosses. Yeah, uh, I think that sums it up pretty well. I mean, there are a lot of people who want who want that reinforced. I mean, and, if I hadn't been unemployed basically for the last like two years, it probably would have resonated more with me because I definitely hated the last boss I had. Uh, would you say that he was the final boss? He was. <laughs> So far, at this point in my life, he he has been the final boss. Yeah, the, the final boss of working. You see, I I think I think that this attitude could maybe be better directed, um, like because these movies are still made by like these American directors. You got Clint Eastwood uh, making Fifteen Seventeen. You've got Peter Weir making the fucking uh, Deepwater Horizon movie. But the solution always is just. Go against what your boss says, and you, you genius, you individual actor, can handle this calamity. I think they're missing something where, like, I don't know, in the hands of maybe a more interesting director, they could kind of um, display how solidarity, collectivization with your fellow workers could maybe could maybe help to overcome these things. But there just never is. Whoa. We're getting into some dangerous territory there, Colin. <laughs> dangerous territory. <laughs> it's starting to sound a little bit. <laughs> your uh, your political career's over, kiddo. I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, I'm gonna way. go. I'm gonna go answer the door, and suddenly it's a bunch of like strike breakers with truncheons. Just like <laughs> we heard your podcast, asshole. <laughs> I'm gonna get my ass beaten up. All right, fuck well, it. We're at 55 yeah, mins. Uh, Cade. Do you have anything that you need to plug? Any shows coming up? Oh, crap. Uh, I mean, yeah, if you're around Shanghai and you and you want stand-up comedy, that's <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Go to more stand-up comedy shows in Shanghai. Well, yeah, like in Shanghai, it's at this juncture probably probably the only place on the planet maybe that has live stand-up. It's uh, it's it's looking about that way. I mean, even the other cities in China right now, I don't think I mean, I, I know there's some other open mics and stuff going on. But so far as so far as shows, I mean, we've had some pretty big ones lately and uh, nothing like the old days. But, you know, some pretty packed rooms. Mm. And uh, yeah, so it's it's starting to look like, uh, you know, it's it's limping back to where it was well yeah i don't think anything's gonna flood back anytime soon so yeah a limp is a limp is better than nothing man uh, yeah a limp's better than laying on the ground drooling all over yourself for sure <laughs> dude trust me now um <laughs> like did you see i think it was yeah over the weekend um like georgia atlanta 
well, Georgia, the state, was one of the first places to properly reopen. And, well, not properly, but just fully reopen. And I guess D.L. Hewley was on stage this week and just collapsed, tested positive for COVID. Shit. Yeah. I did not hear about that. That's So this guy is just telling his fucking jokes, spitting all over a crowd, collapses on stage, oh, and God. then just tweets out later, like, I got the Rona. Oh, God damn. Yeah, no, I saw that a lot of the states that had, like, reopened, uh, you know, are also the states where, surprise, surprise, like, the virus is, is making a big comeback. Yeah, like, they're, so, they're reopening yeah. as if they've beaten the thing. Can't wait but... to go back. Yeah, they're reopening as if they've beaten the thing, but they like they never did anything in the first place. It's it's fucking yeah, exactly. like I'm trying yeah, I'm trying right. to get back to Shanghai just to get into my apartment. I've got this apartment that's just been lying there for the last like what five months. Oh God, yeah, I know a few people in that situation. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have just given up anyways, and just like I'm not I'm not even gonna fucking bother. All right, Kate, let me just stop the recording. But I'm going to keep you on for a second. Um, Everybody else, if you're in Shanghai, if you happen to be in Shanghai, China, go check out Cade Moore the next time you see that he's going to be on stage um, at one of the clubs there. And again, thanks for listening.